Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. We are in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and open those up to Acts chapter 2? I have a lot of scripture today, more than I usually have. And so if you are thinking I'm going too fast, um, I do want to just remind you, you can get on the YouVersion app. You can follow along in the event. If you want to save some of those scriptures for later, I always encourage that you go look at those yourself. Don't just uh, take my word for it. Go look in the book. And uh, so get on the app, get on there and follow along there. Uh, in Acts last week, if you missed it, we, we kind of ended with these two thoughts. Acts chapter 1 verse 5 which says, and for John, this is Jesus's words, uh, just before he's about to ascend to heaven. So Jesus has been resurrected. Uh, he's, he's done it, man. He, is, he has conquered the grave, conquered death and the grave. And he's back up, he's rolling, he's alive. He's like, here, touch this, touch that. See that it's me, I'm really here. And then he says, listen now, wait, because John baptized you with water. That word baptized, it is the word immersed into. Okay, so think of submerged or immersion but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. I kind of gave this little carrot last week for all the charismatics in the room, that this week what we are indeed talking about is the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But really the thesis statement for the whole book of Acts is found right here in chapter one, verse eight, where, where Jesus says to them, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the city that they found themselves in, in uh, Judea and Samaria, the region there where they were. And then he says, and you will be my witnesses all the way out to the outermost parts of the earth, of which you and I are a recipient of their faithfulness then. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. And I'm, I'm excited for today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cruise. And listen, if you could just reach down to your right next to your chair, you can just buckle up in your proverbial seatbelt. All right, because we're about to go. Um, I often think about how would you describe your relationship to Jesus if you and I sat down and had coffee together? If I just said, hey, describe your relationship to Jesus with me real quick. What are words that come to mind? You can think of them. You don't have to say them out loud, but if you just think of words that come to mind when you think of your personal relationship with Jesus, and if I were to ask that question even a level beneath, and I would say, how would you describe your relationship? How would you describe your, your witness, rather? Sorry, how would you describe your witness to the world around you about your relationship with Jesus? I can think of a few words. If I had to think about how I would describe my witness of who Jesus has been in my life as I witness to the world around me, how would I describe that? Uh, awkward. I can think of a couple weird moments that I've had trying to witness my relationship to Jesus to the world around me. I can think of this. I, I still can picture her face. This girl that Katie and I, we prayed for her. Her son was having a seizure in the gym and we, we prayed for her and she never talked to us again. <laughs> you know, and it's, it was awkward. It was weird. Have y'all had one of those moments before? Maybe you would describe your witness about who Jesus is in your life. Maybe you would describe it as faithful. Man, I've, I've done some things I didn't want to do. I've been, I've been obedient. I've, I've, I've gone where the Lord has said to go. I have not gone where the Lord said don't go. I've, I have been a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. Maybe you would say you've been a bold witness of Jesus. Maybe you're just that person. You have got the spiritual gift of evangelism. You just go, you're in the gym and you're telling everybody about Jesus. I don't know how you would describe your relationship with Jesus personally and your witness about who he is in your life to the world. But my question is this, would you describe your witness as powerful? Would you? Describe the way that you witness about who Jesus is. Would you describe it as powerful? Like it's powerfully effective. See, this word, you will receive power, is the same root word that we get the English word for dynamite. Like noticeable, explosive, amazing, awe-inspiring. Like would you describe your relationship with the way that you witness to the world around you about who Jesus is? Would you describe it as powerful? My overwhelming experience as a pastor personally and as being with you all is no, we would not describe our witness as that way. And I wonder if part of it goes back up to verse five, that phrase, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna spend a whole morning talking about that phrase, what it means, what it doesn't mean. And we are going to now, then at the end, we're gonna say, Holy Spirit, whatever you have for us, we want it. All right? So Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. Heading in my Bible reads, the coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to see filled, the Holy Spirit came upon, baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved upon. All of those are describing one event. The Holy Spirit came upon these apostles, these disciples, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, now, Two things, we have to do some legwork here before we really get into the rest of the sermon. First, we got to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we have to talk about the gift of tongues, okay? So what I have realized creates a ton of confusion in the church today, and even for myself growing up in church. Um, I, didn't, I didn't grow up with this charismatic background. I listened to Caden talk about his upbringing, and his parents were praying over him, prophesying, praying in tongues. He's, you know, all this like amazing stuff and beautiful stuff is happening. And then I talked to others of you, and you're like, the Father God, Jesus, and, and the Holy Bible, right? That's the house, that, the church that you grew up in. Like the Holy who? No, we're not talking about him. No, 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 thank you. Am I right? And there's others of you in this room, like you're just, you're just maybe spiritually green enough that you're like, I just don't understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And I hope today is helpful for you. But my hope today, really, the reason I have so many slides is not because I think that I'm so smart, but I do have like more slides than I've ever had before. And I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself, Okay. <laughs> Seriously, I hear you laughing, bro. It's not because I think I'm that smart. It's because I want this to be helpful. I want to look at what the scriptures have to say because I didn't grow up in this home or that home. I didn't grow up in a spiritual home. All I have is what the Bible has shown me over the years and what people that I love and people that I trust have demonstrated to me over the years. And so here, let's walk into it together. There's three kinds of baptism in your Bible. The first is that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. As in, you cannot be a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit's work on your, on your heart to open the eyes of your heart, to see the truth of the gospel, and that you would respond to that in a way where you repent of your sins and you come to Christ and you surrender your life to him. That moment immerses you into Christ. And so now what we all have in this room as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is we have perfection in our position before God. And most of my job every single Sunday is trying to convince you that you are as perfect as Jesus says you are, even though your display of that perfection or, or your behavior around that identity doesn't match with who Christ calls you to be. And I get to go, no, I know you made the mistake, but Jesus has made you clean. And I wish we could spend a whole sermon here, but we spend most sermons here in the, the baptism into Christ. So, most plainly seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, for all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, by the act of one spirit, so that no one would boast, right? We were all baptized into one body. So when you gave your life to Jesus, you were now transferred out of the domain of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of light and brought into the family of God. You were baptized into Christ in this way. Awesome. Yeah? Praise God. Doesn't matter who. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of the one spirit. Ephesians 1 says it this way. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and you believed in him, you were in that moment sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or the promise of our inheritance one day to come until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just, doesn't just convict you and, and you turn and you repent, but the Holy Spirit is the seal and the guarantee and the promise of your continued salvation as you now work out sanctification, even though he's already bought you and you belong to him. Does this make sense? Okay. Romans 8 says it this way. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. So this transfer has happened. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, right? We don't have to go into the holy of holies in the temple anymore. The spirit of Christ now dwells in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has baptized me into Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. 
you experience conviction, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. You do things wrong and you get that sting, that twinge of guilt. It doesn't mean you're not saved. That twinge of guilt, that conviction is the continual reminder that you belong to Christ. That old way of living, that is your formal way of living. You put that to death and you put on then the life of Christ is what it says in Colossians. So this is all over. Every time when you read in your Bible, in Christ or in him, Paul loves that phrasing. He's talking about this first baptism that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. Second baptism is a baptism into water. This is what we do when we celebrate on Celebration Sundays. We have all these people who come up and it is not just pastors. It is not uh, Jesus or the Holy Spirit. It's other disciples who baptize disciples into water. And what we say all the time is uh, baptism in water is an outward demonstration of an inward reality that's happening in your heart. It is you going public with the proclamation of your faith. It is you identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, putting on the new self now, coming up in new life. We say it often like, it's like this right here. What is this right here? It's a wedding band. Thank you. You are with me and I'm with you. Here we go. Right, this is my wedding band. Does this make me married? No, no. This, this shows the world that I'm married, right? But, but marriage to Kate, that is like an inward decision that I have committed myself, given myself to her. This is just the outward expression of that inward decision. Now let's hypothetical game, okay? It's Sunday night. What if I said to Katie after church today, hey, long week, a lot of preaching, put together a lot of notes, made a lot of slides. I know you're impressed. Um, I'm going out with the boys tonight. She's like, oh, oh okay, guys night, sure. Um, she's like, where are you going? Old town. How late are you gonna stay out? Late, real late. I don't know when I'm coming back, right? How many of y'all, like this story is like, this isn't going well for you, bro, right? <laughs> now, hold on though. What if I said, hey, by the way, hold this while I'm gone. Can't, hold on though. Can't you see how this is what it's like when a believer in Jesus who has made this decision to follow Jesus never takes the step to go public with their faith through water baptism? Is it necessary for your salvation? No, it's not. The thief on the middle cross proves this. He's baptized into the first. He's baptized into Christ. He's never baptized in water. And yet Jesus says, and yet I promise you today, I'll see you in paradise. The Roman guards aren't like, oh yeah, here, hop down real quick. Let's dunk you in water and then nail you back up there. That's not how it goes. But it is a important public proclamation of your faith. There, there is no reason. When, when we see this in Luke 3.16, this is John the Baptist saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than me is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Peter, when he gives his first sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, it says that he, he tells all of them, repent and be baptized. Repent, turn away from your life of sin and now be water baptized. And 3000 people respond to his sermon that day. Pretty, pretty good sermon. Honestly, I, I hope to preach some sermons like that someday. Disciples are baptized into water. Hear me, in Acts, what we see is every believer who, who comes to saving faith in Christ is then baptized in water. It does not earn your salvation, but it is a hugely important and powerful step in your heart to display to the world that you are following after Jesus. And so, man, I would just beg you, if you haven't made that step in your life, I don't care if you're 80 years old, it is not too late to take an important, obedient step to do that. Come to the baptism class in the middle of October. We'll do baptisms at the end of October. Okay, the third and the most fun, the most interesting for the morning. The third kind of baptism we see in scripture is that Jesus himself baptizes us into the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. You saw it there in that verse reference that I just used in Luke, that, that John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, but there is one who's coming whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie, right? Who's he talking about? Jesus. And he says, he will baptize you into the Holy Spirit and into fire. Right? John 20. Here's all the verses that go, kind of go with this. Jesus is with his disciples. He's been resurrected. He's walking through walls and freaking everybody out. I just got to imagine that Jesus had a really good sense of humor. They're having their little prayer meetings or they're freaking out. And Jesus just shows up. And he's like, hey. And then he says, peace be with you. Because they're terrified. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So tell me, were these men already Christians at this point? Yes. 
but they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. They were, they were baptized. They experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here, can we go back to the three baptism slide real quick, Doug? The Holy Spirit baptized us into Christ. So often you will hear the phrase, have you been baptized? Have you experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I would say, what, what do you mean by that? Is should always be your follow-up question because you just get a whole a bunch of opinions after that, okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit cannot mean the same thing as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I, I am not a grammar nerd. Okay, Taylor's a grammar nerd. Garrick's a grammar nerd. They set up here first service. I'm the kind of guy that li like watches the CU-CSU game too late into the night, okay? But I know this about prepositions. If you change the preposition in a sentence, it changes the meaning of the sentence. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I would say, is the baptism into Christ. But the baptism with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit is this filling, is this overflowing experience where, where you are brought into the presence of God in a unique and a supernatural kind of way in a moment, a filling, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. And so Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Okay, Doug, let's jump back over to that verse after John. Look at this now. Two different instances in Acts where this just gets fun. Acts 8. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, received the word of God, what does that make you if you receive the word of God? A Christian. They sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They'd experienced baptism into Christ. They had not yet experienced a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it happened, or sorry, and they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit, not Simon Peter, the good guy, this is Simon the magician, who's made a living out of this traveling road show, being a magician, using these evil dark things. And he sees the power now that is falling on the disciples. And he's saying, I want to buy that for my road show. And Peter rebukes him, right? We bounce over to Acts 19. Acts 19. This, keep in mind, Pentecost was 20 years before this moment happens that we're about to read. Let that sink in for just a sec. Tongues, upper room, all that, 20 years prior to this moment. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some, what's that word? Christians? Yes. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, I don't know. We'd never even heard of the Holy Spirit. So, so Paul goes, I want to make sure they're legit. He says, hey, into what were you baptized then? And they say, into John's baptism. What's John's baptism? John baptized with the baptism of repentance into Christ, into saving faith, into perfect positional holiness before God the Father. But they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit, telling the people to believe in the one who has come after him, that is Jesus, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, water baptism. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, one more instance like this, Acts chapter 10. This is when the Gentiles are first now receiving the gospel. Peter's had this whole encounter with the Lord where he's starting to realize that this message isn't just for Jewish people, this message of Jesus and his salvation. This message is actually for the whole world. And he comes and he's preaching to the Gentiles. And he says, Peter, while he's saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So what's happening here? They're receiving Christ, the baptism in Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit all in one fell swoop. And so what's Peter's response? He says, Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing? So this just jacks with our American linear mechanistic brains where we go, okay, we got to bring them to a church service and then we're going to preach the gospel and they're going to respond by raising their hand or filling out the little connect card. And then we'll ask, have you ever been baptized? And we'll put them in our little baptism class and then they'll get water baptized. And then maybe the Holy Spirit will work his power over time. It's like, it's not how it happened in Acts chapter 10. The gospel's preached. It's received. The Holy Spirit falls. They begin prophesying, pr speaking in tongues. And then Peter's like, golly, we got to dunk these people. Like, let's get these guys water baptized. Okay, back to Acts chapter two. Back to Acts chapter two. That, those are the three baptisms you see in scripture. Now, in Acts chapter two, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And then you go on to read, they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How are they speaking in all these other languages? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? And then it goes through a list of all these different people that I can't really pronounce that are there. And they all are hearing these different languages, right? And it says at the very end of this section, chapter two, verse 11 through 13, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues. Now, were they just, was it just total nonsense? No, they were telling of the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and they were perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking them saying, they're just drunk. They're just filled with new wine. They're just rambling on incoherent things, but that's not what's happening. They're saying, no, I'm hearing them telling the stories of the mighty things that God has done. And I'm hearing it in my own language, even though these guys are from Galilee and have no business speaking my native language. So here, now we have to do some quick work on tongues. There are three different kinds of tongues. And if you want to argue for a fourth, I'll give you a fourth. We don't have the time today, okay? But first one is this one that you see in Acts. It is, it is unknown to the speaker, but known to the hearer. It would be as if, and I've heard testimonies of this even today, of people who would, I'd, it's like I'd stand up here and all of a sudden I would just be speaking in German. Now here, I don't know German, all right? Like any German. I was trying to even think of like one German word and I can't do it, Okay. Gesundheit is a German word? Who knew? Okay. I speak German. It's happening. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay. But it would be as if I start speaking in this language that's unknown to me, like German. And there's a German person going like, no, he's he's speaking perfect German. And he's preaching about what Jesus has done. So that's that's what's happening in Acts. But then if you go over to Paul in 1 Corinthians... Listen, if you want to just spend some time exploring spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. Corinth is is a mess. They're this wildly experiential church that just like demands and is seeking after experience after experience after experience. And Paul shows up and he's like, y'all got a mess on your hands. First of all, you got all this sin that's going on. And he like, he's mad. He's writing like just scathing. And it gets to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. And he starts to, he's like, hey, here's planning center. You're going to get an order of service handed to you. This is how you're going to flow through a service. Okay. You're not going to do this anymore. You're going to start doing this. And he starts putting it all in order. 1 Corinthians 12, um, and then 13 and 14. Look at verse in chapter 14. He says, pursue love, but earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay, it goes on to say in verse five. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, which would lead me to believe that the gift of tongues is available for all if Paul wants all of us to speak in it, okay? The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So the second kind of tongue is unknown to the speaker, unknown to the audience, but then God provides an interpretation and that is the only time that we should ever use it in a public service. He doesn't doesn't say don't use this in a public service. In fact, he says only do this once or twice, which I'm like, What would that be like if we had to go, no, no, listen, tongues interpretation only once or twice on a Sunday. You'll have to wait until next Sunday before we can do that again. Like that'd be wild, wouldn't it? But he says, this is a powerful witness to the non-believer to have like this tongue that's given and then an interpretation. And so that's the second kind. But then in 1 Corinthians 14, look at, or if we keep, let's close this out here, 27 and 28. He says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three and each in turn and let someone interpret. If there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So then you have in 1 Corinthians 13, verse one, this starts to show, I think this could be what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14, but I think it also gives an alley or a lane now for a third kind of tongue. And that would be if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So there is clearly some heavenly tongue, a spiritual language that you're engaging directly with heaven. And, but he says, if you have that, and you don't have love, he doesn't say you're like an average Christian or an above average Christian. He says, if you're, if you're doing all this and pursuing all these spiritual gifts, but it's detached from love, then you're nothing. The huge point 
that has to be made out of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is that love is the centerpiece that holds all the spiritual gifts together in 12 and 14. And that the reason that the church experiences the gifts is for the purpose of building up the body, not for the selfish, selfish expression of the gifts for the one. Does that make sense? Look, so you have this tongue of angels. The other reference would be in Jude or in Romans, Jude 1, 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. This is what we would call a personal or private prayer language where you're building yourself up in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of Christ. In Romans, what Paul writes is when you have uh, something that is, you're, you're too, it's an utterance too deep for words and the Holy Spirit meets us in that intercession to give us a groaning that meets us there. So there's your third category. The, the secret fourth that I would maybe give you is singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we could fight about that later, but I don't have the time today. So we're just going to move on. So listen, that's the intro. Now we're ready to jump into Acts chapter two. And that was the longest intro ever. In Acts chapter two, doesn't it kind of feel like when you're reading through this story, you're like, God, why did, why did you pour out the Holy Spirit like this? I mean, some of the guys even walk away, they're just, they're just easy to cheaply write off the apostles. And they're just going, well, they're just drunk. Like they're not even saying things that are coherent. They're just intoxicated. To which Peter says, hey, it's the third hour of the morning. They're not drunk, you guys. This is the Holy Spirit. But do you ever just wonder, like, this just feels random. I would actually argue to you that Pente Pentecost is not the onset of something new, but it's actually the undoing of something old. If you can think of monumental moments for human existence, Yes, the life, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus would be right at the focal point. But then you have two pretty, two pretty large significant moments in human existence that are captured in the Bible. The first is all the way back in Genesis, where yes, the fall happens, but then as the depra depravity of man is clearly revealed through all of ma mankind, you have this weird story of the Tower of Babel. And what happens at Babel? Genesis 11.1. 1. The whole earth had one language, Sorry, Doug, did we lose it there? The whole earth had one language. And so the brick is invented, mortar's invented. And, and what happens is men say, come, let us build for who? Ourselves. Babel really is sin objectified in a building where man is trying to use the God-given gifts that he had given them to represent his nature and glory to the world. Instead, they're using it to build a name for themselves. So in Babel, what you're seeing is sin has turned us all inward and focused on ourself and we've become selfish and we desire to build up glory for ourselves, right? And what happens is they, they're like, hey, let's build up this tower, make a name for ourselves and we'll build it lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So there's two goals here. They want to get glory for themselves and they want to stay in one place for forever, God comes down, he strikes it, 11.7, says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Therefore, the tower's name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Like this is a huge moment. Everyone spoke one language up until this moment. But, but if the chief purpose of people during this moment was to glorify themselves and dwell in one place forever, now the chief end of man, because of the Holy Spirit, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to insist that you glorify and enjoy God forever. This is the primary and, and the, probably the greatest purpose that the Holy Spirit has in your life and in my life is to get our attention off the passions of our flesh, off the lusts of this world, and to get our attention, our focus, our praise, our glory, all up onto Jesus. Holy, the Holy Spirit's always just like, look at him. Isn't he awesome? Look at the Father. Look at the Son. Isn't he great? Look what he's done. And he's trying to insist that we take our whole life, whether it's our business, whether it's our families, whether it's, whether it's our social media reel, and not try to build up a name for ourselves. But if you have the Holy Spirit, one of the primary evidences that you will see in your life is that you take all of those platforms, all those good gifts that God has given you, and you will reorient them towards glorifying God instead. Does that make sense? Okay, the second thing that the Holy Spirit's gonna do is he's gonna ignite gifts in people and he's gonna ignite the characteristics that he's already put in you. Let's, yeah, the Holy Spirit's second purpose is to empower and ignite our God-given gifts and characteristics. Peter is the, he's the textbook example for this, right? I mean, 
just to like recap you through Peter's life, I actually think Peter was always, always called to be a preacher. I, honestly, I think that. Why? Well, because he's quick to speak. He's not a good listener. And he, just, he just inserts his opinion wherever he wants. And coming from a pastor, that kind of, the shoe fits. You know what I'm saying? Like Peter has a lot of insert foot and mouth moments. And I'm like, yeah, he probably was always called to be a, a pastor or a preacher. But something happens at Pentecost now where he doesn't go he, and fold in front of the slave girl, unable to bolster his witness in front of this one woman, this one female. And now all of a sudden Pentecost happens and he's preaching the gospel in a way that 3,000 people repent and believe and are baptized. That's an amazing transformation. What happened there? Well, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts chapter four. It says in Acts chapter two, Acts chapter four. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter had this encounter with the Spirit of God and he's all of a sudden now not just preaching to people, but he's able to courageously stand up before the rulers and the authorities of the day and say, do whatever you want to me, but I have to say what Jesus has done in my life. Where did this boldness come from? came from the Holy Spirit inside of him, acting upon him, baptizing him into the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, 31. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what began to happen? They began to speak the word of God with boldness, with courage. That's what a filling of the Holy Spirit looks like. Let's go back uh, to that Exodus verse now, Doug. I bounced around all over the place. Listen, Doug, you deserve a sandwich after this service or something, bro. <laughs> Exodus 31. Look, it's important that we know the Holy Spirit isn't created at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's existed the entire time. Co-eternal with the Father, co-eternal with the second person of the Trinity. He's been around the whole time. So much so that in Exodus, we see the Lord said to Moses, see, I've called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, to the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. What did, that, what did that produce in his life? The ability and intelligence with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, bronze, cutting stones for setting and carving wood to work in every craft. So the Holy Spirit pours out on this guy and now all of a sudden he might've been a craftsman before, but now he's a qualified craftsman to build the temple. That's what the Holy Spirit ignited in him. 1 Corinthians 12 has a list of spiritual gifts. It's one of a few different lists. This is just for an example. 1 Corinthians 12, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Do you know what this verse means? It means that every single person in this room who is in Christ has a gift that is necessary in the kingdom. There's nobody a part of this church that gets to be an appendix or a set of tonsils. We can't just cut you out and you walk away and we wouldn't feel that. You have a gift that we need to carry out the ministry that we're called to do as a church for us to go forward. There, listen, nobody is ineffective in the kingdom of God. Some of you are sitting on the sidelines. Some of you are, are just, you're just, you're just content with your baptism into Christ, but there, you are called to power. You are called to make a difference, to make an impact. If you're struggling with your purpose, this is it. You've been gifted by the Spirit of God to make a difference and an impact in the world in which you already live. That is true. That is absolutely true. He goes on to say, all these, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. An utterance of wisdom. To another, the gift of knowledge. To another, faith to another, healing, to another, working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, uh, discernment, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues. This makes me wonder, is tongues for everyone? Paul seems to contradict himself. Holy Spirit still confuses me too, all right? I have some questions when I get there, but I want to earnestly desire everything the Holy Spirit has for me. It says, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So I'm just going to keep bumbling around. I'm going to keep working on preaching. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to beg for some other gifts to show up in my life too, but I'm going to try and just figure this one out while I'm up here. Right? Look, it's not just, it's not just spiritual gifts, but this is, I do want to address. When, when people in the more Pentecostal stream ask you, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? What they mean by that is they mean, have you had an experience with God, which was evidenced by the, the manifestation of the gift of tongues specifically? And I would say that, that makes two huge errors. 
The first is that we shouldn't just look for the baptism of the Holy Spirit as one singular event. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But it is this ongoing need of the believer to go, I need you, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Every single Sunday when I'm sitting right there and we're singing in worship, I am at some point in that set going, God, I need you to anoint me fresh. Fill me up freshly for today's service. I need a touch from heaven today. I don't want this just to be stale. I want this to come from you. I want this, this to have your authority. And I'm praying for that fresh baptism every time. Before, before you take your kids to school, before you were about to have that conversation with your kids that you never want to have, Holy Spirit, come. Fill me up today. Give me the wisdom. Give me the discernment. Do you see that? It is not a one-time event. The second huge error is it does not just manifest in one kind of way. It's the Holy Spirit that's the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not just the gift of tongues. So if I were to say, CB, your birthday's in April. Correct me if I'm wrong. April 4th? My bad, bro. April 3rd. If I were to say to you, what do you want for your birthday next year? You would say, shoes? Okay, shoes. Golf clubs, even better. He's like, hey, I wanna, always wanted to have this nice set of ping golf clubs, right? Nice set. I'm like, bro, I got you. Next year, I'm getting you that set of golf clubs for your birthday, right? And so then the, like, the year goes by, he's waiting, he's anticipating. He's been like, man, this promised gift is coming from me, right? And then, August, or April 3rd comes around and I hand him a putter. <laughs> Happy birthday, bro. Is that, is that what the Holy Spirit's trying to do? Give us one aspect of the, you would say that's not the whole gift, surely, right? Surely there is more and there is more. And so if we want to reduce it all, does that make sense? If we want to reduce it all the way down to one gift, we're missing all that the Holy Spirit wants to do. It would be a huge mistake to pigeonhole the Holy Spirit to say, have you received this baptism? And what I mean by that is the gift of tongues. It can mean, it can mean the gift of tongues, but I hope it means a whole heck of a lot more than that because I want everything the Holy Spirit has for me. All right. Now, what other ways? Because it's not just gifts. It's also the Holy Spirit in his second purpose is igniting the gifts and the characteristics that God has already put in you, right? And so if we bounce now to Luke, the story of Mary, story of Mary, uh, you realize it's two women that are the first people that the Holy Spirit fills or acts upon in your New Testament. Luke chapter one, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. The power of the most high will overshadow you and you will have the ability to do the impossible, to conceive when you have, when you've remained a virgin. The immaculate conception will be possible because of the Holy Spirit acting upon you. Luke 141, when Elizabeth is, uh, she heard the greeting of Mary. The baby inside her belly leaps. It's John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the next verse go, goes on to say, and she was filled with great joy. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and she encountered great joy. You know the gifts of the Spirit, by the way, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things that God can ignite in a moment, make them all the more real. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous pastor, preacher, when he talks about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he says it's like a father walking along in a parking lot holding his kid's hand when all of a sudden everything's good. You're with your dad. You're chilling. You're having a good time. Martin Lloyd-Jones doesn't say chilling, by the way, but you're having a good time. It's like all of a sudden your dad just picks you up, presses your face in, just says, I love you so much. I'm so glad that you're mine. Sets you back down, sweeps you back up and startles you a little bit because the child just feels so loved by the father. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just gifts. It's characteristics that he's already put inside you. It says in Acts 13, 52, the disciples, even though they were facing crazy persecution, even though their lives were at risk, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. Saul, when he's converted, Acts 13, but Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And what it goes on to say is he brought conviction. He preached the truth and saw that conviction came upon somebody. So it's the experience of conviction, this overwhelming sense of like, oh my gosh, I have to turn right now. It's different than just the gnawing, like maybe I shouldn't do that. It's like, I can never do that again. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you, immerse you into, fill you up to the brim, to overflowing with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians chapter five, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he says, and don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm not a language guy. I'm more of an ESPN guy, okay? 
but that be filled with the Holy Spirit is in the present continual sense, tense for the believer. As in get filled and keep being filled. There's a couple ties in the New Testament with the Holy Spirit and with alcohol. And I think the thing that we can learn there is you shouldn't just seek a filling one time. If you wanted to stay drunk, you can't just drink alcohol one time and expect that that will stay with you now for the rest of your life. No, you need continual filling if you're going to stay in that state. So it is with the Holy Spirit. I've experienced a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, when was the last time? Maybe you need a fresh touch. Maybe the reason that you're so bogged down with fear is because you haven't had a fresh touch, a fresh filling from the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit, the primary purpose that he's going to do is he's going to get our attention off of ourselves and up onto Jesus. And so for all the weird things that you might see in charismatic circles, what I, what I would say to you is the Holy Spirit is not weird. People can be weird for sure. But the Holy Spirit is not weird. The Holy Spirit fills you with peace, fills you with hope, reminds you of the love that the Father has for you, gives your life purpose and meaning. He gives you a sense of direction. Like the Holy Spirit is beautiful. I'm sorry that people have been weird about it over the years, but the Holy Spirit's not weird. Well, the second thing the Holy Spirit's gonna do is he's gonna ignite spiritual gifts. He's gonna ignite God-given characteristics in you. So that even though you might, yeah, I understand that God's been long-suffering and patient towards me. He's gonna try to press that feeling into you so that you experience it in a moment where you're just so sure, man, God has been so patient with me. He's been so kind with me. And you are all of a sudden, that, that feeling is not just some, spiritual truth that's stuck up in your head somewhere, but it's an inward reality in your bones. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The third thing the Holy Spirit does is he unites the body of Christ for the purpose of advancing his mission powerfully. The new church in Acts, they moved with the Holy Spirit in power. Miraculous healings, miraculous boldness, miraculous salvations. People came, like there were some incredible things. People who were in bondage were set free. He loosed the captives. Band, if you are in here, if you guys can come on up, we're going to move towards some ministry time in just a minute. But this is going to be next week. What did the early church do? What was their bread and butter? What did they value? But the main thing that the Holy Spirit's going to do in all that is the Holy Spirit helps us see Christ as the main thing. And so even though in this room, there's some of y'all that are older than 80 and there's some of y'all that are under eight. There's some of y'all that make a ton of money every year and there's some of you that are barely getting by. Our skin doesn't all match. Our politics don't all match. But you know what we have in common? Christ and him crucified. And we all have his mission together. And I, I wanna see every person who comes to this room baptized into Christ for sure. I wanna see every believer take that step and get baptized into water by some other disciple. But I want to ask the question today is do we want to receive a baptism into the Holy Spirit? Do we wanna experience a filling of the Holy Spirit? Because again, church, the question that I have is how would you describe your witness to the world? Is it powerful? Most of us, the answer is no. And I wonder, I just wonder if the missing gap is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. At Acts 19, it's 20 years after some of them received probably the gospel for the very first time. And, and, and Paul comes and he's like, you have the Holy Spirit? And they're like, the who? And I just, I think that still is the problem sometimes of the American church today. He's the forgotten God. He's the lesser part of the Trinity. He's the weird one. No, he's not. He's just as relevant today. He, I love that we sang the song, same God. This is, this is so fascinating. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians also goes on to explain that everything in the Old Testament is for the benefit of the believer in the New Testament, right? Everything that was in the Old Testament is still beneficial and profitable for us today. And you know what's crazy about the Old Testament structure of the temple? When you first walked in, Jesus is often called the door. When you first walk into the temple, there's a huge altar there. What would happen at an altar? A sacrifice of blood. So to get into the Holy of Holies, the first step that you had to go through was sacrifice of blood. Second step, what was there? To get, to get in a little further, there's a, there's a big basin filled with what? Water. And it was for the ritual cleansings for the priests. And if they were going to go into the Holy of Holies and experience the power and the presence of God, what was one of the last things they had to do? Anoint their head with oil from a flask. Who does that represent? The Spirit. Look, I just wonder if we've settled for less than what's available for us. That's all. 
Like I'm just a guy up here wondering if we as a church are missing some power. And I think if you were honest in your life, you would say, I read the book of Acts and I read about Pentecost and I wonder where that's at in the church today. And I would say, he's the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He's the same God who he was then that he is now. And and the reason that I'm full-blown charismatic and not a cessationist, and I believe that all the gifts of the Spirit continues today is because I've I've read the whole book. I've read the whole New Testament and it never says to stop. It never does. It's never like keep doing this and keep praying in tongues and keep prophesying and keep designing the gifts until the canon is closed and then just read the Bible and then just use the Bible and that's your move. It never says that. So I'm just wondering if we could all stand. First service, this was beautiful, you guys. I gotta just tell you, there was, there was people that just came down. We're gonna do an old school altar call, okay? And I don't know if that fits your tradition or not, but I think it's what is needed for today. So I'm gonna ask right now, if you are saying, I need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh filling from the Holy Spirit today. Right now, I wanna be filled. I'm gonna ask that you would make your way out of your row and come on down. Just kind of fill up this front aisle, move into your aisleway if there's not enough room. If you wanna come down from the balcony, you have time. Just move on down. Don't, please, please, do not let your ego get in the way of this moment. Nobody's gonna judge you. Nobody's gonna look down upon you. People are going to rejoice by seeing other people, other believers, brothers and sisters filled with the Holy Spirit. And don't let your head convince you this is a bad idea right now. If it's from God, it will be beautiful. All right? Let me read this, let me read this parable in Luke 11. Jesus says, hey, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Doug, can you throw that slide up? Knock and the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, I like to think of myself as a pretty good dad on most days. But he's like, but if you, being a father who's evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's available. He's available for us today. Praise God. Listen, if you're, if you're willing, I want you just to put your hands in front of you like this. I'm gonna lead us through a prayer. And then we're gonna sing that song one more time. All right? And then I'll come back out and close this in just a few minutes. But if you're willing, just posture your hands right in front of you like this. And what we're gonna say first is we're just gonna say, come Holy Spirit. Personally, wherever you are at in the room, you say it in your own words. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I welcome you to do whatever it is that you wanna do in me. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Come and move in me however you want to move. Help me lay aside my upbringing, what what I maybe thought was right. Help me see plainly in the scriptures that this is available for me today. Come, Holy Spirit. Just put it on your own, in your own tongue, on your own mind. Say Say it in your heart, personally. I can't say this for you. You have to want it. Hunger is how Jesus is going to move in the room right now. Okay, now check this out. Hold on. Now we're going to pray that Jesus, because he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. So now we're going to turn our attention to Jesus and we're going to say, Lord, send the advocate. Send the helper to us, God. Jesus, would you just release the Holy Spirit to come and to move on the people in this room right now? God, I pray that you would fill up my brothers and my sisters and myself included from the tops of our heads to the bottoms of our feet. God, would you just fill us with your spirit? Would we experience everything that you have for us today, Jesus? Fill us with the Holy Spirit, God. Baptize us in the Holy Spirit, Jesus. We trust you and we ask that you would do this. God, I pray that you would take captive any thought that's from the enemy right now. God, I just... I pray in your authority, Jesus, would you, just, would you just bind every evil spirit right now in the room? If people who are struggling with addiction, I just pray that you would bind that in Jesus' name. For people who are struggling with depression or, or, or with addiction or with, or, or with anxiety, God, I just pray that you would take those thoughts captive and cast them out right now in Jesus' name. They are not welcome here anymore in Jesus' name. We take authority over our own minds and over our bodies because of who you are, Jesus, and because of what you've done. Holy Spirit, come now and replace what's been removed as we take those things captive, as we renounce participating with them. God, I pray that you would just now fill us with your presence. 
Holy Spirit, would you reach down from heaven, touch us right now, move in us. God, I pray that there would be gifts of healing that would be in this room. God, I pray that there'd be gifts of miracles that would be in this room released right now. God, I pray that you would manifest yourself how you want to right now through these people. Jesus, I pray that somebody in this room would receive their gift of tongues today. Their heavenly language would come on them today, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would do whatever it is you want. Whatever gift you want to empower, whatever thing you want to ignite in us. Whoever needs joy, would you give them joy? Whoever needs peace, would you give them peace? Right now, in Jesus' name, we just ask for it. Come, Holy Spirit, move how you want to move. Jesus, we look to you. It's in your name we pray. God, I pray if you're starting something right now, Help us continually draw our mind up towards you this week. God, I pray that there'd be healing being experienced right now. That bodies would be being set free of sickness and disease. God, I pray that there'd be addiction and, and besetting sin that is just broken right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fall. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us up. Fill us up. God, I pray that the depressed would be experiencing joy that the fearful would be experiencing hope. God, I ask that you just continue to move in a powerful way. Don't let us settle for less than what you have, Lord. Don't let passivity set in. Help us to engage with all of who you are. We want to see you move in power. So we just invite you and we welcome you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wanna say a couple things. Even if right now, in the physical sense, you aren't feeling anything, I'm asking that by the power of the Holy Spirit, there'd be something shifting in your life spiritually right now. The victory, forgiveness, whatever it is, would be just settling into your bones right now in Jesus' name. I just, there are two things that I would ask of you as you kind of go out on your week. If God, if God did something today, like if just now something happened, something shifted, maybe you don't even have all the words for it, you can't explain it real neatly, I'm just, would you please just share that story with us? I'm not gonna blast your name on social media. I'm not gonna post the picture or whatever of you. I'm so, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff just fuels us to know that God is still alive and moving in our church and it helps us so much. So if you experience something, would you just share it? And the second thing that I would ask is that if you experience something, don't respond like Peter on the mountain of transfiguration. You remember Peter's response? He's like, this is cool. Let's just build a house and stay right here. No, the point is still the Great Commission. The point is still Acts 1-8. My hope is for every single person of our church to have an experience where God moves powerfully in you so that he can move powerfully through you. So here's my ask. If God just did something in your heart, be vigilant this week to be on the lookout. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who is it that I'm supposed to talk to? Who is it that I'm supposed to pray for? Who is it that I'm supposed to share the gospel with? Be on the lookout because God's not gonna do something in you unless he wants to do something through you. God, we love you. We trust you. We ask that you would continually be glorified in everything that we do. Pray that the things that happened today that were from you wouldn't fall out of our mind quickly, but would you seal them? The promises that you've spoken, would they come to pass? The things that began, would you bring them to completion? We trust you, Lord, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 